religion, politics, and culture. I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. Uh, today's episode, I didn't really plan on doing this, but um, I'm actually uh, testing a new podcast host, and I wanted to see, just to put up a new episode to see how it would work. And um, so, I, you have a new episode. And um, before we go into the into that, uh, just a reminder to please consider uh, leaving a review or a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Those reviews and ratings help others to find this podcast, and that um, is important. Also, if you can, if you've listened to this um, listen to this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. So the um, topic for today is actually, um, I think it's still an evergreen, um, and it's based off of an article I wrote last summer, um, just as we were kind of heading, going into the pandemic. And um, mind you, I'm going to be saying a word that I, I really don't try to go blue too much on on podcasts. Um, it just kind of feels unprofessional. And, well, um, as a pastor, that just kind of seems a little weird to be um, going all around swearing a lot. But uh, the word that I'm using um, is going to be something that is part of the essay. And it matters. So, um, I'm just kind of saying that ahead of time to be prepared and also to offer apologies to those who may not, um, to those who are bothered by swear, swear words. So, um, the story that I'm going to talk about today starts with, um, the demise of Sears and Kmart. And this is a story that I actually, I'm planning on trying to work on um, in the future, kind of a larger project. Um, But I wanted to at least, today you get to hear a little bit of it. Um, The interesting thing is how, it's been hard to see that kind of demise of those two retailers because it was like a train wreck, but you just couldn't, look away. Um, the common story whenever we talk about Sears or Kmart's is basically either A, they didn't keep up with the times, or B, they weren't able to keep up with Amazon. That tends to be the story. And there is some truth to some of those two uh, reasons. Um, I think especially Sears did not try to keep up with its times. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they actually shut down their mail order business, which would have been a strong competitor uh, with Amazon. Um, but that's not what really brought these two retailers down. The story of Sears in reality is really the story of a hedge fund manager who basically was either incompetent or he simply didn't care what happened to the company. So since 2005, Eddie Lampert has had a role in Sears. Um, He 
basically um, brought the two companies together um, when he brought them. Um, these were retailers that still had several hundreds of stores across the country. Um, when I wrote this original article last summer, Kmart only had 34 stores. I'm pretty sure they don't have any now. Um, there are no Sears or Kmart stores at all in Minnesota, and I think they aren't in very many other states. Now, Lampert's business style is rather head-scratching. The way that he ran Sears was really in a very ruthless and cold-hearted fashion. Um, he was definitely not a um, the world's greatest boss. Um, just the way that he ran things were just bizarre. Um, and I think the thing that was fascinating um, was that he was always talking about some type of a turnaround, but we never really saw that turnaround. You know, when he was, this destruction was happening, as stores started to close and the ones that were still around were languishing, I thought that this was really all about the evils of hedge funds and private equity. And to be honest, I still think that that has a role. Um, and I'm hoping one day to do, do an episode on um, basically how hedge funds and uh, private equity have really ruined American retail. But I think that there is another thing that comes to mind when I think of Eddie Lampert and his time at Sears. And it's, what if besides being cold-hearted, he is basically incompetent? What if he thinks that he is the best businessman out there, but he can't really see how bad he really is? There was this two, 2017 interview that he did with the Chicago Sun-Times, and he was basically saying, he said basically that Sears was well ahead of its competitors. And this is what he said, uh, quoted, I feel like we're ahead of JCPenney, we're ahead of Macy's, we're ahead of Target in some aspects where the world is going. And I found that quote unbelievable because, I mean, walk into a Target, doesn't look like, Target looks like basically if you... It's been a while since you've walked in a Sears or Kmart um, versus a Target. You know that Target stores are clean, um, well-stocked. That's not the case with either Sears or Kmart stores under Lampert. So what you start to learn is that Lampert either it seems to live in a world that is his own. And it's the world where he is a genius. So not only I think was he a failure is he a failure, but he's delusional. And the truth of the matter is, in, in life, in our society, there are lots of people like that. 
but it gets dangerous when people are affected and people especially were affected when it came to losing jobs that they had had for years um, in Sears stores. And that all of this, how he ran Sears always has led me to a question. Why didn't anyone stop him? Why didn't the board do something to say, no, you're out of here? You know, J.C. Penney, uh, maybe about a decade ago, hired a man by the name of, of Ron Johnson to be their CEO. He was he had come from from Apple and he was armed with this new look and strategy. And so the stores kind of got cleaned up. There was a really trying to simplify the pricing and. Um, you know, that was his hope that that this would kind of lead towards a new um, and stronger J.C. Penney. Instead, the company lost a billion dollars and Johnson was gone. I think personally that they should have given him time. I think it would take time for people to understand what was going on. I don't know if it was even explained well. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't turn the company around at least the way that people wanted him to. And with that, he was gone. Now, the difference, of course, is Johnson didn't own JCPenney. Lampert does, did, owned Sears. And so the employees and the board of Sears were, in essence, stuck with Lampert. And they seemed helpless to do anything as the horror unfolded. But the thing is, as I think about and look back on Lampert's actions and think about the fact that he was a man that is incompetent, a man that lives in his own world where he is the king. And the funny thing is, that sounds familiar. It sounds incredibly familiar because, in many ways, former President Donald Trump is basically Eddie Lampert, just with nuclear weapons. What we have seen at Sears, and um, I will try to put some links to show, give you some a kind of a background on, on the whole story, is really what's happening in a larger scale with the president. President Trump, I think, was a terrible president. I think he was a failure. Obviously, he was a failure during the coronavirus pandemic. But over and over again, Trump had chances to do better, to be a better leader, and he never took those chances. Just like Ron Johnson was let go of J.C. Penney, there were past presidents like Jimmy Carter or Herbert Hoover, that paid dearly for their failures in office. But Donald Trump has not has never paid a price for his incompetence. He didn't pay for it during the coronavirus pandemic. He surely did not pay, uh, pay for it after the January 6th insurrection. So why is that? 
Why has he been able to do so well, even when his party and his country were failing? How were people like Lampert and Trump able to get away with their bad leadership? And I believe it comes down to this one word. The word that I said is a swear word. Bullshit. Harry Frankfurt wrote a famous essay that is called simply On Bullshit. He wrote it back in 1986 and it later became a book. Now, it's important for you to know that bullshitting is not the same as lying. Matthew Iglesias wrote in 2017 that the liar wants to be seen to tell the truth. But the bullshit artist, however, really doesn't care if what they are saying is true or not. Why? Well, Harry Frankfurt explains that in a 2016 essay he wrote. And so I wanted to share um, this quote from him. The distinction between lying and bullshitting is fairly clear. The liar asserts something which he himself believes to be false. He deliberately misrepresents what he takes to be the truth. The bullshitter, on the other hand, is not constrained by any consideration of what may or may not be true. In making his assertion, he is indifferent to whether what he says is true or false. His goal is not to report the facts. It is rather to shape the beliefs and attitudes of listeners in a certain way. So the end goal of someone who flings bull is to control people. It's really to bend reality to his will, to signal to certain constituencies that he is on their side. So the person who is creating Bull is trying to create an image of success, even though in reality, probably their real life is quite different. And the fact is everyone knows this, but the bullshitter doesn't care because the goal is to make people believe what he is telling them, even when their eyes tell them otherwise. When you go back to that 2017 interview from Chicago Sun-Times, Eddie Lampert was good at spinning reality. He, he was talking about, you know, trying to say that there was always going to be a turnaround plan for Sears that was just around the corner. When asked in that interview if Sears has time, this was how he answered we have as much time as our vendors and our lenders and our shareholders are willing to give us. It's up to us to basically demonstrate to people that we can drive results to get people behind us. We're trying to be proactive with our vendors. We're trying to be proactive with our members, with our employees, associates, etc., to explain that the reality is a lot better than the perception. The reality needs to be better than it then it is for us to really demonstrate to people that the transition is starting to take hold. So Lampert, what Lampert needs is for people to see that things are not so bad. And then he gets to reveal that his goal is to paint a reality that will bring change. 
So he basically creates a reality and then hope that people, that it can come true. And maybe that's why he's been able to hang on as the head of Sears, because he was able to convince shareholders and board members that there was a revival that was just around the corner. And, and maybe he got them to believe that and that they believed that a turnaround was possible and that Lampert was able to and and Lampert alone was able to give them what they wanted. And if you think about this, when it comes to President Trump, it's not really so different when we're talking about the big lie. He knows probably that the 2020 election wasn't stolen. It's pretty evident from anyone that can see it, but he doesn't really care when he lies about that, whether it's true or not. His goal is to bend reality. And that's exactly what he's done with the GOP, that so many people now believe that the 2020 election was stolen by President Biden. If you go back about a year ago in March, just as the pandemic was starting to really ramp up, things were shutting down. President Trump basically had this news conference where he gathered everyone on the House lawn um, with executive, and, and there were executives here from a number of major corporations. And he was stating that testing was going to be done at several major chains, uh, Target and Walmart and CVS, and I remember I was actually sitting in church that day, um, hearing this press conference, and I was surprisingly pleased that maybe, maybe this president was going to take this crisis seriously. Foolish me. The president was just flinging bull yet again. This is what... Uh, was reported in Vox last year. According to the Washington Post, there are only four, four drive-through testing sites as of last week among the 26,400 stores the retailer, those retailers operate. Two at Walmart locations near Chicago, one each at a CVS in central Massachusetts and a Walgreens in the Chicago area, and none at Target. Rite Aid, which was not represented at the press conference, has also opened one drive through site in Philadelphia. So, why in the world would this president bullshit his way into something so serious as a pandemic, something that had not happened in over a century? Because, when it comes to the president, most of his followers, frankly, are aware that what he says may or may not be true. They weren't expecting that there were going to be testing sites tomorrow. That doesn't matter to them. What we always fail to understand is that Trump isn't the usual politician. He is a salesman, just like Eddie Lampert. 
and Trump, like Lampert, Lampert, you should know, was involved in real estate, just like Trump. And what these people are able to do is that they tell people what they really want to hear, even if what they really want to hear does not come true. The fact is, that doesn't matter. Because what matters is that Trump or Lampert gives the, these people the reality that they are desiring. And it allows the person, the bullshitter, to get their way. So, going back to that March 13th, 2020 press conference, Trump was able to bullshit his way through that press conference in order to create a reality for himself and his fans that said that he was doing something about the crisis, even though in reality, in the real world, it was far different. At the end of the day, the public has to ask, we have to, as a public, have to ask ourselves and realize that when it comes to our leaders, whether they are our leaders in church, our leaders in um, our, the boardrooms, and our leaders in our seats of government, we have to realize that when our leaders bullshit, it is dangerous. And we have to find ways to combat it. So why do we need to combat it? Let's look at this one at a time. The first thing is that bullshitting is dangerous because it can have adverse effects on people. When President Trump was telling people last year that he took hydroxychloroquine, as a prophylactic against the coronavirus, most people are pretty sure it didn't matter, didn't that he was probably not taking the drug. But the fact is of the matter is that Trump didn't care if he was taking hydroxychloroquine or not. He didn't even care if it worked or not. But what it did do is cause to sow doubt among the experts, and it, it allowed him to fashion himself into something of a genius, even though he had no idea how this drug would work, and frankly, he frankly didn't care. The thing about democracy, for it to work, for it to, to thrive, you have to learn to trust others. You have to trust that sometimes there are people who know more about an issue than you do. And you have to allow that person to trust that person to make decisions on your behalf. But demodogs, their power in a way is to be distrustful. And they can come along and they can tell people to not listen to this senator or this doctor about a certain issue or illness. And what happens is that those people, people start to not listen and they lose legitimacy. But what it does is that it lifts up the bullshit artists. 
the demagogue is able to come across as the all-knowing, all-seeing leader. And he is now, he or she is now ready to do more damaging bullshitting about another issue. So, how do we stop bullshitting? Well, it means calling it out. People, in some ways, have to be willing to ask some questions, some deep questions that really, in some ways, weakens the power of the person who is the bullshit artist to bend reality to his will. You know, I mean, I sometimes wonder what would have happened if journalists and politicians were willing to ask Trump some very hard questions in 2016 to do things in, in, in ways that would have weakened his power. I wonder sometimes if Lampert would have been able to keep his job and continue to wreck Sears and Kmart if someone on that board was willing to ask the German, who was Lampert, the specifics of his vaunted turnaround plan. Because who knows? Asking for proof, asking for evidence, would have caused people to stop and to think, yeah, what do you know? They would ask questions, and those questions would be pointed at the bullshitter who would have to in the first, who would now be held accountable for their actions. You know, there is actually an old tale about bullshitting, and many of you know it. It's the emperor's two new clothes. That's the story of those two tailors that promise a king that they will make the most dazzling garment for him. And whenever the king came by, they would tell him that they were working on a loom. There was a problem. The loom wasn't there. But they acted like it was. And the king, wanting approval didn't, and wanting not to look silly, went along. And so they kept on the ruse, and finally the king's clothes were done. And so he pretended to see the clothing, and the tailors were able to get the king to strip naked to put on his new quote-unquote clothes. His advisors were afraid to point out the obvious. He wasn't wearing any clothes. All they could do is talk about how beautiful the clothes were. And then there's that final scene. It's the scene of the king marching down the street, showing off his new ensemble to his subjects. Except he wasn't showing off his ensemble. He was showing off everything. Everyone in that parade knew that the king was naked. In fact, even the king knew he was naked. But no one said anything. They were all afraid. That is, except for one person, a young boy 
who was too young to know any better. He tells his mom in a loud voice, in the only voice that probably a young child can can project, the king has no clothes. Bullshitting, I think, has a dangerous hold in many aspects of American society. And even though Donald Trump is no longer president, he is still bullshitting. He is still getting people to believe that he was basically robbed of a second term. If we want American society to be a healthy society, if we want our democracy to be healthy, then I think that we need to have more little boys that are willing to cut through the bullshit to say what everyone is thinking but are too afraid to speak up. We have to have this because we can't afford to have more people, more people like Donald Trump or Eddie Lampert, who are able to get away with it. And we can't afford to have a public that isn't willing to admit that these kings are walking around in the buff, making a fool of themselves. If we want for our society to get better, and if we want to find ways of bringing the bullshitter down a knock or two, then we have to be willing to call things out, to see them as they are, to ask the hard questions. Because it's really only then, when they can, are no longer able to create reality in their, in their image, to tell people that something is blue when it's red, when they don't have that power, then we are all better off. But as long as he or she is able to tell you it's raining when it's sunny, then reality, democracy, is in danger. Well, I want to thank you for joining me um, this time around for Spheres of Influence as we talk about um, this topic. And again, I apologize for those who are a little unsettled to be hearing um, me swear so much, but the word um, was important to the topic and um, it needed to be said. Um, again, if you are able, please, please leave a um, review or a rating on whatever podcast platform that you use. And also, please feel free to share this. Um, and also consider joining us on social media. We do have a Twitter. Um, we are on Twitter and also on Facebook. And you can find links in the show notes. 
Well, that's it for um, Spheres of Influence for this time. Um, hopefully, maybe sometime this week I will have a chance to do another episode. Um, I'm still working on some interviews. Um, problem is, of course, it is May, and two of the people that I want to interview are both um, in academia, and May is a horrible month for them. So hopefully I will talk to them soon. So, take care, everyone. Godspeed.